I'd like you to open your Bibles tonight to the book of Ecclesiastes for a moment. Ecclesiastes, and then if you don't mind, look in Philippians chapter 4. We'll go to Philippians first. Philippians 4 and Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I'm starting a new series tonight. I want to talk about money and you. Money and you. I looked at my schedule of sermons through the years. There's some things you need to talk about a lot, like faith. And there's things you need to teach on because it's an important part of all of our lives, and that's money. We don't teach on it all the time. Those of you that go here know that. We don't ask for it. We don't hint around for it and try to get you to give in some clever way. What you do with your money is entirely your business. But God has a lot to say about it, and you can either be blessed with it or you can be cursed by it. And there are biblical instructions for Christians, especially you young folks. I think the last time we taught on this was back in the middle of, well, 2006. Those of you that are older now didn't pay attention then. But you probably are now because you're big enough now to start paying bills. And you didn't realize there were so many of them and the variety of them until you got into bill paying. And you've realized that sometimes there's a little bit of money left at the end of the month. And sometimes you realize there's a little bit of month left at the end of the money. And a wise man has to be clever in this area. To be wise, you've got to be wise in this area also, how you handle money. Money can either open the windows of heaven for you or they can close the windows of heaven. Money can either make your life so abundant that it's like good measure, pressed down, shaken over, or you can go around empty. It all depends on what you do with it and why you do with it. And God knows your heart and leaves it to us to instruct you on what he says about it and then to do it. Now, money is important. And again, I think you understand this because I know my heart, and I, I think most of you do too. We don't teach on this subject to try to get more out of you. How much you give is, depends on what you purpose in your heart to give. It's between you and the Lord. It's a measure of how you want the Lord to treat you and all of that. But in Philippians chapter 4, verse 15, he said, Now, you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. In other words, nobody supported him. Let me stop and make this little observation. I think every church should have an outlet, something that we support. Are you with me? Something that we can believe that is of God, that we can sponsor, promote assist or help monetarily with money or with our energy and our effort and our time. But it's something a church, a local believing bunch of people would do. And Paul said, when I departed from Macedonia, he said there was nobody that communicated or helped me except you only. And in verse 16, he says, for even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again to my necessity. Then this verse. Not because I desire a gift. It's not, I'm not trying to get anything from you. I'm not soliciting your money for my 
help and aid and assistance. But what I am interested in is the fruit that abounds to your account because God is keeping records. God knows, like he said in Malachi 3, he said, you have robbed me. How did he know that? Because there's nothing he doesn't know. And he knows the heart. He knows the motivations of the heart, the thoughts, the intents of the heart. Why we give, why we don't give, why we this, why we don't do this. He knows. And Paul said, I don't desire your money. I thank you for it. I appreciate it. I'll put it to good use and I'll enjoy it. But he said, I'm not trying to get your money. But what I do want in your giving is for fruit to abound to your account. I want this to advance you, to bless you, open a door of grace to your life and favor from the Lord because of what you do with it. So with that in mind, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I want to talk about money and you. Now, money is an important subject. Again, I've already mentioned a couple things that it can do. It can open doors. You can be loose or you can be bound because of money, and it is important. There's 8,760 hours in one year. In 8,760 hours in one year, if you work 48 weeks a year and had four weeks off, I know, that'd be nice, but if you did 48 weeks 40 hours a week, you work 1,920 hours in one year. 21% of all your time is spent making money. Nearly one-fifth of your life is working. If you slept seven hours a night, you slept 2,555 hours in one year. You spend one-third of your life sleeping. Now, the two of them together is 50 to 51%. And so you spend half of your life Working, you sleep in order to have the energy to work and be alert. So sleeping and working kind of go together. They kind of need each other. So anything that takes up half of your life is worth teaching on. Because you've got all this other time. Well, you've got to go to church. You go to church five hours a week. Twice a week, you spent 0.03% of your time in church in one year. That's not so much, is it? And there's just a lot to say about money as, as we go on. I just thought I'd throw some of those out, try to impress you with numbers. But they are important. Again, if you just stop and think, I said all of that in order to say this, that 50% of our life is working and sleeping. And when we do both of them, we're really the working part, the way God wants us to, it makes the other sleeping part nice. I think it would make you sleep sweet at night to know that, that uh, you have no stress going to bed. There's no worries going to bed. You cast all your care over on the Lord going to bed. You know he's heard you going to bed. You know that you're ahead and not the tail going to bed. You're above and not beneath going to bed. You're going to sleep pretty good if you know all that. God has a way of setting us free with his word. And again, you can go to church every week. Memorize the scripture and all that. You can mess up with money. I think a lot of religious people have found life not to be everything they thought it should be. And there's a lot of poor people that found it to be more than it should be because of their attitude about money. It's just all about money, what you do with it, and how it works. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, if you'll go there, verses 18 and 19. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 18 and 19. He said, Behold, that which I have seen 
It is good and comely, proper, for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him, for it is his portion. Let me ask you a question just on that one verse. Is it good for a man to enjoy what he's done? It's good. All right. Verse 19, every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. I might say to you tonight, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is the measure of how God wants to bless us concerning our work in this life. Now, you notice the gift of God is qualified by four statements. That is, when it comes to being blessed with money or by it, and remember this, if money is only to gain this world, your spiritual well-being is not measured in the abundance of your toys or how many things you got, how many cars you got, how many, how many, how many, because life does not consist in the abundance of the things a man has. Because having doesn't make you spiritual. What does make us spiritual is the one word we talk about a lot. That's faith. Being faithful to respond, to react to God with whatever he said. Now, he said the gift of God is seen in four ways here. One, every man to whom God has given riches and wealth. And we can say this. God does give riches and wealth to his people. Said he did. How you measure riches and how vast is wealth. For a man that needs little, just the little he might get is riches and wealth to him. Another man may need a lot more to operate. I don't know. But I know this, in every man's life, in every whatever category he is in his life, when he has an abundance, he has enough. He's happy with it. He's at peace with it. And the Bible said God gives this riches and wealth. Second thing he says is, and God has given him power to eat thereof. In other words, he doesn't make it and somebody else gets it. Thirdly, he gives him the power to take his portion. It'll be yours. Nobody's going to get that from you. And fourthly, to rejoice in your labor. You'll find yourself thanking God for the talent that you have. Speaking for women that work too, I know some of you have too. I believe that God gives us talents. That proper labor in this life is for you to do something that benefits your fellow man. Gambling doesn't. Pornography business doesn't. The liquor business doesn't. Drugs don't. Selling and buying on the streets, they don't. Illegal drugs don't benefit anybody. So a Christian wouldn't do that, would he? We taught this years back in ethics. We said this, that the labor that a man has when God blesses it is something that God has given him to do, and he does it with diligence. If God has given you, any of you in here, a gift to do something, whether it's paint, fix, prepare, do, make, whatever it is, if he's given you a, an ability to do that, you should do that with all your heart. If you're lazy, you'll find you're not blessed the way you could be. Lazy is not a good thing. 
But being blessed means that you have a kind of a talent. You can do things better than the guy beside you can do. It's something God gave you. Now, when you use that talent, and when you thank God for it, and at the end of the day, you see how he's blessing you with business and customers and advancement or improvements in your job, man ought to rejoice in that. He ought to give thanks to God for it because not everybody that comes home at night can do that. But we can because we know who our source is. We know who gave us what we have. We know who we turn to and who we look to and who we pray to, and we know who, who responds to us. It's God. So that having been, been said, that's the good thing about riches, because it can be good. He said so here. The other side of this, we read, and we'll, we'll do this more in a, another study, but in First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, he said, For the love of money, this is the other side now, First Timothy 6, 10, For the love of money is the root of all evil. Somewhere behind all evil works in this world and evil doings, evil ways, evil decisions, evil things, money is behind it somewhere. Something that will promote self-pleasure. If I can get this, if I can manipulate this, if I can just sell this product, maybe use a little deceit and talk somebody in, come on, and get it. I'll do better. I'll have some things that I want. I'll be able to go and be able to look good and drive good and have nice clothes, a nice car, house, have a chicken in a pot and all of that kind of stuff. There are people who, who see life as a great opportunity if they can just make enough money, and they don't really care how they make it. A lot of people don't, just as long as they get it because they live to make money. Now, in Colossians 3, you don't have to turn to this, Colossians 3, 5, it says that covetousness is akin to idolatry. And what a man loves is what a man serves. Who you love is who you give yourself to, whether it's your job, your money, fame, fortune, or just Jesus. And the love of money is loving something that promotes you. The devil at least makes you think that. It becomes self-serving. That's why later on you'll find that riches are deceitful. They mislead you. But the love of money is the root of all evil. He goes on to say in that verse, which some, while having coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many a sorrow. Notice three things that money does against you. When you love it and it becomes your life, your goal, your aim, to be rich, be well-to-do, or to be at ease. The first thing that it begins to do, if you're a Christian, well, I'm speaking to Christians, is to turn you away from trusting God for these things. How many of you believe the Bible really does, that God really does offer to give you things. Amen. If you live on his terms and do things his way, I think he said so. If you'll seek first the kingdom of God, all the things the world is seeking after, he'll give them to you. He may not right away because you're going to find out how committed you are to God. But I can tell you standing here tonight that he does give. He does do that. He relieves us from all of our concern and worry about that particular thing, money. 
You even come to a place where all the abundance he's given you, you could walk away from it because you found your great treasure in life, and that's the Lord. This pearl of great price is the kingdom of God and his right ways. They don't fail. They never disappoint you. And in all those right ways, God has made several thousand promises of what you can depend on him to do. And one of those promises is abundance or money. I might say he give you money, even more than you need. And I know how that sounds to the world out there who think that that's all we preach on. There are people who commentaries, some of the dictionaries, I've got a dictionary that the writer has a lot of good things to say, but when it comes to prosperity, he just cannot make himself say that it's a good thing. Because they always want to use a verse like this, you know, that love of money is the root of all evil. Those that covet after that stuff, they pierce them through with many a sorrow, and then they wind up like lottery winners. 65% of all people who win the lottery in 15 years file for bankruptcy. Money has a way of distorting everything, ruining lives, living a wasted life, wasting money, and you'd be surprised with all the money that people got in all these foolish ways, like the lottery. God gets very little of that, gets hardly any credit for it, and there's no way they can be blessed with all that money. Somebody said, what if somebody put a winning lottery ticket in your offering box? Tell you the truth, it's never happened yet. I don't know what I would do. <laughs> I would probably give it to you. But the problem is, if you went down and found out how much it was for, and it was for several million dollars, I don't know what you do. Because I know the kind of thoughts that goes in your mind, and most of them are selfish. Of course, first thing I'm thinking of is a piece of land, a contractor, and a building. I mean, if that kind of uh, money, we wouldn't want to be gaudy. Gaudy doesn't make you spiritual. Drapes hanging from the ceiling and all that doesn't make it a spiritual atmosphere. You're the ones that determine that. But it would be nice to have one that's clean and dry, asphalt parking lot. That'd be nice. But anyway, we don't need anything like that. We don't. What do we need here that God hadn't supplied all these years? What need amongst us in this church has never been met? What financial problem have we ever had here that has not been met? Never had one. We don't even have to take up offerings. Don't even ask for money. Don't need to. That's your business. We teach you. That's between you and God, and you can do it. Nobody knows what you give. Nobody knows why you give. Nobody except your wife or maybe your husband. That's your business between you and God. If we had a need, if somebody here had a need, if somebody was in a dire straits or car broke down or something was, and they needed that to work, then I would ask you for money. Let's take up an offering for so-and-so, because I think that would be perfectly fine to do that. That's one of the things a church would do for its own people. But when it comes to giving... When it comes to money, uh, all I can say is from studying this and reading it over and over again, you have to examine your heart all the time about what you do with it. 
I mean, everything you do with it, whether it affects somebody else you gave money to or whether it affects you and the way you spend it, why you buy it, you may buy something that takes up all your time, takes you out of the Word. It wasn't a good thing to own that. Your heart has to be the thing that's constantly being examined when it comes to money because you can get money the wrong way. Y'all believe there's a wrong way to get money? Follow me in a little journey through the Scripture. Turn to Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17, verse 11. We'll begin the second part of verse 11, where it says, So he that getteth riches, and not by right, shall leave them in the midst of his days, and at his end shall be a fool. You would agree with me that riches did that person no good. All the conniving, whatever he did, whatever method he employed to make money or to get money so he could get as much of it as he can, he said that will leave him in the midst of his days, and in the end, he'll be a fool. There's a story in the New Testament, Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21, about a man who one day looked at all that he's got. He said, man, look at what you got. I have got so much stuff now. I'm going to have to build me some new barn just to put it in. I've got enough to eat, drink, and be merry and take my ease. I have done well in life. Remember what the Lord said to him? He said, thou fool. Tonight your life will be required of you. And then who gets all this stuff? They can't stuff it in your casket. Who's going to get it? I think a lot of rich people don't enjoy all the money that they make anyway. They save it up, live as little as they can. They're wealthy people, and they live. They give it to their kids who blow it on everything else. But that's their business. That's not my business. All I'm saying is that a man who gets his riches but not the right way, he shall leave it in the midst of his days. When the time when comes in your life, there will come a time if you live long enough that there comes a time in your life you'd like to just sort of slow down and smell the flowers. And... Notice what you've been living around all these years that you're too busy to look at and enjoy it. And that's not a good time to die. It's part of the life and the abundant life and with long life will I satisfy you in Psalm 91. And we ought to live in such a way that when we come to that time in our life, we can do that. Amen. Let's turn to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11. Wealth gotten by vanity, some useless, wasted way, Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall be increased. Labor means work, effort. It's not playing the stock market, trying to make money off money, but it's work and labor. Proverbs 21 and verse 6. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a vanity tossed to and fro of them that seek death. People that lie to sell a product. People that mislead people to get something they have. He said it's the way of death. The vanity tossed to and fro of them to seek death. Chapter 28, Proverbs 28 and verse 8. He that by usury, that's putting your money out at interest, that's making money with money. He that by usury and unjust gain increaseth his substance, he shall gather it for him who will pity the poor. 
Do you pity the poor? Then that guy's working for you. Okay, anyway, let's go on to chapter 28 and verse 20. You got to like this one. A faithful man will abound with blessings. Do you believe that God is in the blessing business? He says a faithful man will abound. It's God's good pleasure to give the kingdom to people like that. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. Man is not supposed to live in this world trying to gain as much of this world as he can. Man lives in this world for two reasons. One, to serve God and to enjoy God. That's what you live for. And the direction that God leads that man in life, not only will bless him abundantly, God just will give him talents and abilities. He'll open doors for him, and he'll pour a blessing out upon him. There is a way that God wants us to live, and he'll bless us for living that way. But when you try to ignore the way of God and just make as much as you can, some people do. He said earlier they make it by vanity. It's a vain way to make money, especially if you have to lie to make it. Anybody in this room that has to lie to sell a product, you're making vain money. That's not the way we do it. That's taking advantage of mankind. That should never be at once named among a Christian. We're here to bless society with what we have to bless them with. The work that we do should benefit people. We're not trying to get what they have by gambling and clever stuff like that. We're here to do what God wants us to do. Verse 22 of Proverbs 28. He that hasteth to be rich has an evil eye. We'll talk about that later. He that is in a hurry to be rich has an evil eye, and considereth not that poverty shall come upon him. How can a man that has riches be poor? Well, there was a church in Revelation, wasn't there? Wasn't there a church in Laodicea? It said we are rich and increased in goods and have need of nothing. Remember that? That attitude. Look what we got. Look what we that attitude is condemned all through the Scripture, this idea of look what I've got, look what I've done. You're leaving God out. And the Lord spoke to that church. He said, you are naked, you are miserable, you are wretched, you are blind, and you're poor. And yet they had all this money, but they had nothing before God. They were beggars. So see, money doesn't mean necessarily that God blessed you. There's a lot of ways that people make money that's not the way God gave them to make money. You've got to understand that. So we talk about money, and you remember the right way to make or to have gain in this world is by the way that God gives you to do that and not some worldly way that takes advantage of other people. Money is not sinful. It's not a sin to have money. It's not a sin to be well off. It's not a sin. It's not a crime. There are well-to-do people in the Bible. In the New Testament, Zacchaeus, a little rich fellow that climbed up a tree, a little fellow, he couldn't see Jesus. He climbed up a tree to see him. He later on said, Lord, if I defraud anybody, I give back you know, this and that much. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to your house. Money no longer controls you. You're no longer the servant of money. It doesn't dictate how you live your life anymore. 
And salvation has come to you, and, and you're going to be set free from all of that. But money is deceitful. In Mark chapter 4, in verse 19, he said about the sower and the seed. He said, And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things enter into this man's life. And he said, and his life becomes unfruitful. I'm sure the man remains religious. I'm sure people still probably cater to him because of the idea that he's rich or she's rich. And they like to know people like that in case you have a need. Maybe they'll do something for you. We should never do that. People do it. But a lot of people, they get money and they think they now deserve attention. They deserve the seats down front. They deserve to be voted in or honored first because they got money. And, uh, you know, we don't want to ignore the rich. We want them to, you know, maybe if we can kind of give them a little something, they'll give us a whole lot of something. That's all evil. None of that is Christian. It's not right. It happens. It happens all the time. But the thing that changes man's idea of who he is and what he is, as he says here, is money. Money, the deceitfulness of riches. As W. E. Vine says in his dictionary, the false impression that money gives to a man, making him think more highly of himself than he ought to. I'm sure a man who wins a lottery gets that feeling, just that instant feeling that you're now important. And people begin to notice you, and they all want to, you know, give you, yeah, hey, hey. Because the, the only reason they honor you at all is not because of your character. It's because of your money. They want to get some of it. And money's cheap. Because the devil can use money to bind them time after time after time. Because money is deceitful. It gives you a false impression of who you really are and what your life is all about. Because he said so. He said, so in the cares of this world, the worries of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And look how many people have come into money. Maybe an inheritance, maybe uh, some strange way they got blessed, or even that lottery thing. People somehow got a money they didn't have before. Look what happens in their home. Debts run up. Now they can afford anything. Marital discord. You begin to give children things that children should not have. They no longer respect things. They don't take care of things because it was given to them. They didn't have to buy it, didn't have to earn it. it was, they had no involvement in it, so they don't care. Father, Mom, you, that's the way you train them. They're not responsible. And then Mom and Dad gets to arguing over it. The next thing you know, divorce comes. Marital discord, stress. Money can just tear people all up. I mean, you don't have to have it to fight over. You can fight over it without it. All you have to do is just have a credit card in the wrong purse or the wallet, and you got a war. Because somebody who's trying to pay that bill wants to know why we keep paying this credit card bill every month. Well, I, we got to do, we got to, we, you know, we got to. You say, you don't need another pair of shoes. You got 19 pair in the closet now. Well, these were pretty. 
How much were those shoes? Well, they're all right. You know, they were on sale and so forth. I'm just telling you that people will do so much for money. A woman will sell her body into prostitution. She'll absolutely ruin her body for money, just for money. Parents will sell their children for money. People will lie for money. They'll disrobe themselves. If you give me enough money, I'll disrobe. I mean, they'll do most anything for money. Can you imagine how, how easy it is for the devil to buy people? Money. Make money the whole thing about your life. Make money to mean everything in your life. Money, 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 money. Talk about money all the time. Talk about why you don't have it. Complain about it. Grumble about it. Get stressed out over it. Criticize those that do have it. I don't know why they do that. If I had their money, I'd tell you what I'd do. Just, that's what the devil does. Money makes you think about things in a way that's not good for you. And that's why a lot of people get ruined by it because it makes them think the wrong way. The Bible tells us that an honest man who does an honest day's work and thanks God for what he has, is content in the state that he is in, and he is believing God for his blessing. This guy who lives that honest way, he'll bear fruit in his life. You can't buy him. He's not for sale because money isn't his master. He refuses to let money dictate his attitude or his character. He's willing to trust the Lord and let God have everything he has. It's not a sin to be broke. It's not a sin to be poor, nor is it a sin to be rich. And God blesses us, and he should. I think the promise has been made to everybody in this room. You have a chance to hear it twice a week. for Some of you, your whole life, you were born here. Now you're packing babies in here, so you know what I'm talking about. There's a way that God wants you to live that should open a door for heaven's windows to be open to you. And it all revolves around money. It just comes down to that. Most of the time, it's about money. But you can't serve God and money. You have to make up your mind, I'll make God my source, I'll trust him, I'll take him at his word, I'll claim that promise that he has made to me, and in spite of how things look and what my circumstances are like, I'll count on God to change it all. And you know what? He can. He certainly can do all of that. And you may look at your living quarters now, and you're maybe you're young, you're just starting out, and what you've got isn't what you wanted. You know, the carpet that you're living in, you rent this place, you've got to take what you get. I've been here. You just take what you get and do your best. Now, I didn't have a thankful heart then. I do now. But since then, all this has changed. When I began preaching, when I began going out and declaring, well, among other things, what I'm declaring tonight, just began preaching, everything began to change. It didn't change all at once. It began to change. Through the difficult times and feeding seven mouths and traveling all the time and all the things you did, God began to unload his abundance because I asked him for it. I claimed it. I didn't ignore it. I didn't listen to those that said, oh, that's distracting. That's not for today. Well, I believe it is. I believe it is. And so I claimed it. I claimed that God would bless me. Ask him to. Ask him to pour out his blessing on my life. 
in my home, my children. And he does. And he has, and he's not through. Because God doesn't lie. If he said he'll do something, he will. It's for us to find out what he said and then take him at his word. But as one writer said, it's good to have money and the things that money can buy, but it's good, too, to check up once in a while to make sure that you haven't lost the things that money can't buy. And John Wesley, you know, the great Methodist preacher, he said, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Those three things, I guess, would, would rule and, and dominate his life. So let me begin the night in teaching this little series, brief series on money, by asking a question. Is abundance a promise that God makes to his people? I'm talking about money, finances. Is this something that we can claim? Is it something that is promised? Or is it just a possibility that some seem to get and some don't? You know, in the church, Paul said, charge those that are rich in this world. So there were some rich people in the church, not to be heady and high-minded, but to condescend. In fact, put your finger wherever it is. Turn to James chapter 5. To the rich, pretty strong words, to the rich in the church. Now, I don't know what they were doing or how they were acting or what they were expecting others to do about them, but this is what James, the brother of Christ, said to them. He said, go to now, you rich men, or come now, you rich men, and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Now, that's not good. That's not good. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. That's a pretty tough message. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rest of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasures together for the last days. Behold, well, let me get verse 5. You have lived in pleasure on the earth... And have been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just, and it doesn't resist you. There's things is there's a way that the rich live that we don't want to live. So before we get into the idea that God wants to bless us and bring us abundance, we need to ask of all first of all, is this of God? Because if it's not, I don't want to mislead you. I don't want us to be misled. If it's not right for Christians to have abundance, let's don't talk about it. If it is, let's by all means declare it. Because I'll tell you the truth, everybody in this room would look better and function better, I think, if you had abundance. You don't have to have to be a Christian. It's not a crime to be poor. It's not a crime to just be getting along. But there are promises that are better than that. There are promises that God has made that are better than all of those things, and God wants to give it to you. Let's define the word prosper, prosperity, abundance. Actually, in the New Testament, the word is only used twice. 3 John 2, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Have you heard that? Well, the word 
prosper there doesn't mean I wish above all things that you have a lot of money and never get sick. But he's just saying, I wish above all things that things go well for you and that you feel good and that your body is healthy, even as your soul prospers. It doesn't mean money necessarily because there's more ways to prosper in the Bible than just having extra money. I tell you what, there are people that have a lot of money and don't have good health that would trade all they had for good health. There are people who, who cannot live with their wives who would give a fortune to be able to live as well with their wife as you do with yours or your husband as you do. There are things in this life that money just can't buy, money can't fix. You can throw money at it, but you can't fix it. But God has a way, and there's a way he wants to do things, and one of the ways is by abundance. The other one is 1 Corinthians 16, 2. He said, let every one of you upon the first day of the week lay by in store as God hath prospered him. Now there he's talking about money. That upon the first day of the week when it's time for the collections, and Paul was saying, now, I want you to make up a collection for the people in Macedonia, wherever I'm going on this, on this journey. They have a great need. You have extra. You have abundance. Won't you all get up some money up together so when I come and see you, I don't have to ask you to take up a collection. That's what he says in the next verse. So he's talking about money. And abundance means we can't take up a collection to give to anybody if we don't have any extra to give. Isn't that right? We can't pay our bills here if we don't have enough money to do it. If everybody is broke all the time, we can't hardly make our own ends meet, and everybody in the church is like that, then we can't function well here. We need God to bless us. Not that one or two people pay all the bills, but that whoever you are, as a need arises or as whatever God wants, he just taps you on the shoulder and he can use you. and You're a part of his plan. Part of the way that God does things. So the word prosperity means to be successful or flourishing, to be doing well, to be in a thriving condition. One translator said it means to cause, to succeed, render happy, favorable, fortunate, which is another word, prosperous, literally agreeable to one's wishes. I am blessed. I have more than I need. You'd be able to say, as I stand here tonight, all of my bills are paid. I have learned how to get rid of that credit card debt, and I got rid of it, and I've learned to not let my feelings run rampant or my lust for things run rampant so that I buy stuff I can't afford. I'm learning how to rule my feelings and my lust and all these things that... I hear about credit card debt in the church, and it's hard for me to. Maybe I grew up in the old school. My parents never had debt. If they did, they got out of it as fast as they could, lived on the edge of poverty, and I guess that's the way I grew up. I never liked to owe anybody anything. I liked to pay my bills as quick as I could, and I have prayed that God would give me some extra so I could help other people or give to other people. I've been a receiver. People have given to me my whole life my whole Christian life. Almost everything I have is something that people have given me, either their money or a donation or something or Bonnie's dad or whatever we've been driving at, but everything's been given, and I'm thankful for all that. It's good to have some extra yourself to be able to give back and be able to help people. 
But that's what money does. It makes us happy. It should make us happy, not sad. It should benefit us and benefit others. It should be a useful tool that's in the church. So when we are doing things God's way, our prosperity is seen in the fact that we're happy. Not everybody in the world is. We are. When Jesus said, I'm coming that you might have life and have it more abundantly, should anybody have more peace and joy than us? We should come in this room joyful. We're being set free. We have been, we are being, we shall be. We're not living a dream, we're living a reality. That a supernatural God has given us wonderful promises that are coming to pass, and I don't have to worry about my tomorrows. I can literally take no thought for what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to wear, how I'm going to pay my bills, because my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches in, in glory, my need for a, an improved talent, my need to do things in a better way, to relate to people better, to be a better husband wife, or to have more money, any of those things. It's all a part of life. The abundant life is a life that is satisfied and made peaceful by the Lord himself. It includes money. That's what we're talking about. God wants us to be happy and joyful, contented people, knowing in whom we have believed and being persuaded that whatever he's promised, that's what he will do, and that's all we need. Just give me a word, Lord, and we'll put a smile on our face. How do you know it'll work? I'm trusting God that it'll work. How can he fail? I can fail. He can't. So God, give me strength. I don't want to fail. I want to do well. But in the Old Testament, it has similar sense. Being joyful, happy, the word means the same. The word abundance or prosperity, while it's used several times in the Old Testament, used twice in the New Testament, is a word that in its broadest terms, again, means your well-being. And one of the things that causes people to be all tore up and stressful is there problems with money, either problems with debt. For, you know, they want to send a child to school, and the tuition, what, 20000 a year? Is that pretty cheap today? Some of your parents, 30000 I heard one time out in California, school was like fifty or $60,000 a year. Who can afford to send anybody there? How could you spend $60,000 a year going to school? I don't know. But I know that a lot of people want their child to have the best, and they don't have that kind of money, and they try their best to get it, and they begin to look at life a little greedy, and not the way they used to, and then they start opening up doors, and the devil gets a hold of that, and he can ruin your life. It's just a bad way that people face life. But there are three levels of life. There's poverty, sufficiency, and abundance. Poverty is when you don't have enough. You need $20 worth of groceries. You've only got $15. Sufficiency, you need $20. You've got $20. You have none left over. You've got enough for yourself. Abundance, you need $20 worth of groceries. You've got 20 plus. More than you need. 100. You've got more than you need. It's not a thing you should have to worry about or be concerned about, God's blessed you anyway. I think that's the way it should be. I think we should all have an abundance. I don't necessarily think everybody in here ought to be rich. 
rich in the sense that you just have an extravagant amount of extra money. I believe all the extra money in this life has a purpose. I think when Jesus warned us about storing up money in this world to spend on yourself, I think he had a purpose not only in giving you the extra, but of testing you in what you're going to do with it. Money is not designed to get you to heaven, but it can certainly keep you out of heaven. It certainly can. Let me tell you what Jesus taught. Go to Matthew chapter 13 and verse 12. Matthew 13 and verse 12. Whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that which he hath. Now, we're not talking about money here. I think we're talking about revelation. But there's a principle here. We live by principles and not by rules or, or law. And the principle is, he that hath shall have more. Unless I've misread that, whosoever hath to him shall be what? Given. Now, if I honestly seek first the kingdom of God, and there are needs in my life that come up, maybe, maybe, maybe I want, maybe I want a new car. Maybe an old one or used one will work fine, but let's say that I've come to the place where I like to have a new one. No bills, no expenses, no this is and no that. It's all under warrant. Maybe I've come to that place, and I have been years ago when I traveled all the time because I didn't have time to go to the garage and fix anything, so I claimed a new one. And back in those days, if you were charismatic, you drove a van, your wife had a jumper dress, and you had 15 kids in a van. That's the way we went, we went everywhere. But I claimed a new one. And I know that there were people who thought, well, you didn't need a new one. You, you know, that's all going to your head. No, it's not either. I know my heart. This new van just relieves me from having to find something else to drive because one I'm driving broke down. I want one that's not broke down. I want one that works every time I get in it. It never disappoints me. That's the kind I want it, see. That's the way you come. You walk with the Lord and you say, Lord, I want a new one. Is that okay? Well, is it? Does God look at you and think, what? You live in a church with poor church mice running around in the back, and you want something new? Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, Lord, well, I don't argue with the Lord. I've heard preachers talk about how they debate with the Lord. I think that's foolish. But I say, now, Lord, you did say in James chapter 1, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Well, there's a lot of things besides wisdom you can ask for. Wisdom is one thing. Money is another thing. Ability is another thing. There's a lot of things you can ask for. But here's a principle. He said, if a man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Here's what God said. Who giveth to all men on occasion. Does it still say liberally? That God giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. All you have to do 
is ask in faith without doubting. Because if you doubt, you disqualify yourself from getting it. You've got to believe when you pray, you've got it, and then you'll get it. I've been there. I know how this works. So I claimed this new van. In the meantime, I had to wait, and it wasn't a big struggle. I mean, I'm not trying to make it out. I was just a poor little something crawling around on the street eating crumbs, but it never been like that. God's never let it get like that, ever. But there were needs. A new van cost $8,000 in 1986. $8,600 what the sticker was on the one I got. $8,600. And, of course, it was a Ford, but that, that was what it cost. I didn't have $8,600. I didn't have $86. But I figured God had lots of $8,600 up there in the windows. I figured the heaven was full of $8,600 offerings, gifts, abilities. And however it worked out, it just worked out that one day I had a brand new van. And I bought one every year because I put a lot of miles on them every year. I'd buy one when the new models came out. I'd trade in the old model and get in a new one and drive it. And next year I'd trade again. It cost me about $3,000 a year rather than wait 10 years and cost me 40. Because it's easier to come up with three than it is with 30. Anyway, that's the way I thought, you know. I can, for a little bit, if I could just save $300 a month, I can get in a new vehicle every year. It cost me $300 a month to drive a new car. That's the way I thought. So I, I did. I just bought one every year. Went in, ordered one. It came in, turned the old one in, got that one, and drove it again. Now, I know people noticed that. I wasn't trying to impress people. I think one time I did. Now, this is truth. One time I did, I put mag wheels on my van. The man, they were pretty. I mean, it is a pretty thing. Mag wheels with white letter writing, kind of 70s tires on that thing. And I flew somewhere and parked it over in Jim O'Neill Ford, and I got a phone call while I was gone that somebody stole the wheels off of my van. <laughs> All four of them. What are you trying to tell me? I remember I went back over there to get, and it had four old Jeep wheels on it. <laughs> That's all I drove home with this new van with four Jeep wheels on it. Got the old rims and put the regular tires back on it, and I guess humbled myself with a new van with regular, normal tires. Poor Tom. <laughs> I'm just saying, sometimes you can start thinking you're pretty something. And people begin to notice that, wow, you got another one, you got another one, another one, yeah. Yeah, I got another one. And the next thing you know, somebody takes your tires and your wheels. They were $500 for the whole bunch of them then. That's a lot of money. A rim would cost that now, but, I mean, back then they were, whoo. But anyway, that's just the way it works. But in principle, the thing that inspired me, the principle was, to him that hath shall more be given. Do you think God thinks like that? You think about it for a minute. In principle, that's what Jesus said. To him that has shall more be given, and he shall have abundance. Now, to him that doesn't have or maybe doesn't want, whatever he has shall be taken from him. We found that in the guy that said, I hid your talent. 
Matthew's gospel. He said, I hid the talent. I hid it because I feared you. You're a hard man. And Jesus said, take that one talent from him and give it to the guy that has ten talents. And somebody said, he's already got ten. Lord, you wouldn't make a good socialist. It wouldn't work. Equality and all that. And Jesus said, take the talent from the guy that has one and give it to the guy that has ten, for to whomsoever hath shall more be given. It's a principle that applies not only to money, but to most any area of your life. You want more understanding of the word? He'll give you more. You come to a place like the sower and the seed that falls on the wayside soil, you're really not that interested in what he said. He'll give you the word. But if you don't want it, the devil will take it, and you won't have it. And then you're empty when it comes to dealing with the devil and fighting the fight of faith. You don't have anything to fight with because it's all been taken. But abundance means you have access. Turn to Luke 19. You have excess. You have more than you need. Matthew 25 talked about those talents a while ago. He said, take that one talent and give it to this other guy. Well, look in Luke chapter 19. Luke 19 and verse 25. And he said unto them that stood by, take from him the pound and give it to him that hath the ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord... He has 10 pounds. I want you to see this, where, where it is. Lord, he, already, he has 10 pounds. And Jesus said, here it is. This is what you're kind of thinking that I want you to have. Jesus said, for I say unto you that unto everyone which hath shall be given. And from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken from him. That's perpetual poverty. Let me put it like this. Maybe let's make a principle out of it. If you don't want it on God's terms, you won't get it. If you don't want to honor God in his way by doing things his way, trusting him on his terms, then you'll pay the price in poverty. But you'll have to know in, in this life that it's the Father's good pleasure to give his kingdom to those who ask for it. And Jesus did say, ask, and it shall be given. Knock and seek. For God gives. It is the nature of God to give. God so loved the world that he gave. The windows of heaven are for opening to give. The inspiring people to give is what God does. And he says all of that for us to listen to and to ponder and to consider. Do you want to be a beneficiary of God's blessings? Well, I do. I make no bones about it. I want to be blessed of God in all the many ways that he blesses, not just money. Money doesn't solve problems. You think it does. It sometimes makes them worse. Oh, well, we can go here, we can go there. Yeah, you can, you can do all that, but you've got to come back home. Money can't buy a better marriage. I don't think it can. It may seem like to some people that it can, but it doesn't. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, Give and it shall be given unto you in a specific way. This is what Jesus said. Give. He's not talking about giving wisdom. He's not talking about giving knowledge. He's not talking about giving lawnmowers or this. He's talking about giving money, giving of your resources. Give and it shall be what? Given unto you. How? Good measure. Pressed down 
That's when you stomp on it to make it not fall out. And the more you stomp, the more it falls out. You know what he said? Given it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down and running over shall what? Men give to your bosom. What if I said this? Give you this to think about and then we'll go home. What if I said to all of you here, it's important for me as a minister to be a giver? Now, I want you to understand why I said that. If my giving causes people to give, doesn't it say something like that? Give and it shall be. Well, who gives to you? People. I mean, if some thing come in my room wanting to give me something, I'm going to rebuke it. Because it's people. Now, notice, you give and people will give to you. How will people get it to give? Because you gave. Would it be possible that my giving would help open doors in your life to have more than you need so that you can give. Not necessarily to me. There's other needs in this room. But have more than you have now so you can give it when you need to give it. Give and it shall be given unto you. He said, good measure pressed down and shaken over shall men give into your bosom. Where did they get it? I think that you opened the door to it. What if we're all tight and stingy? What if we... Fight over nickels and dimes. Well, that costs $15. I hope you've somewhere in your life you've had a chance to give more than that in a tip. Why in the world would you argue about $15 or 20 or anything? Why should the church ever come to blows over money? Because they went down and borrowed for it. They don't know how they're going to pay it back. That's why they fight over it. Debt. We don't have to be in debt. All we have to believe is just what God said. He said, give it, it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. Because that's how God does it. Let me close with this. The Scripture says in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, standeth in the way of sinners, sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But it says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he doth meditate. Day and night he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Leaf doesn't fade, bears fruit in his season, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Joshua 1. Meditate in this word. Ponder this word, Joshua. Be full of courage. Just keep your heart in the word. Don't go left or right, and you shall have good success, and you shall prosper. Now, we don't need any more than that, but there's more. I mean, how many times does God have to tell us that he wants to bless us? How about the Lord delights in the prosperity of his servants, the well-being of his servants? We're not fighting. We're not upset. We're not pointing fingers. We're not rowdy and choosing sides and bickering. We're doing well. That's what abundance means in that verse. The Lord delights in the prosperity of his servants. What about Psalm 103? Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Forget not all of his benefits. He forgives all your sins, iniquities, heals your diseases, crowns your life with loving kindness. That's good. What else? Satisfies your youth with good things. Some translation says satisfies your mouth with good things. And then I heard a man say there's more on a cow than hamburger.
maybe you're like me. I like good hamburger. I'd just soon have good hamburger as a good steak. I would, personally. I know, I know. But I don't have to eat a steak to prove I believe in God. I can enjoy a hamburger because he'll give me the desires of my heart. You want a steak? Have at it. Go for it. You want bratwurst? Ain't nothing wrong with that. Put mustard on it. Anyway, but I want to go to Psalm 112, and then we'll close. This is Old Testament. What a wonderful psalm. What a wonderful psalm. What promise and what provisions are here. Praise the Lord. He said, blessed is the man that fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty upon the earth. You want that, those of you that have children? Don't you want that? It's a promise. It's a provision. It's one of those given things from God. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Is that you? Well, I mean, you got to answer these. Verse 3, wealth and riches. Now, that's talking about money, material things. Wealth and riches shall be in his house, and his right ways shall endure forever. He gives God no occasion to judge him. He lives on God's terms, a righteous life. Do you want more than that? Wealth and riches be in his house? There's nothing wrong with that. And he goes on to say that a good man, verse 5, shows favor and lendeth, and God will guide his affairs with discretion. And in the dark days in his life, he shall not be moved. He's one of those people that just seems to maintain a good attitude all the time because he's found peace with God. And when he found peace with God, he found all the wonderful promises that God made. And the Bible says all these promises bring glory to God by us. 2 Corinthians 1.20. Amen. God is good. Amen. Close your Bible. Father, we give you thanks tonight for your word. Your word is our treasure. Your word is the key to all the things in our life. These are the things that you watch over. These are the things the Holy Spirit points us to, the statements you've made in this word. I pray this word, the Bible, would become a treasure to our hearts, that we will hide it with joy in our hearts that we will trust in it when difficulty comes, that we will live according to it, counting on you to perform it in our lives. And I believe you will. I ask you tonight to bless those that are sitting before me, that you would bless all of them in all ways, especially, Lord, that they would prosper and be in health. They would have well-being about them. They'd be peaceful, and they would, they would have healthy bodies. Those are your promises, and we receive them, and thank you for it. Lord, we count disease to have no right to anybody in this room, nor poverty, that those spirits have to leave. And I thank you, Lord, you've given us authority 
to make such statements. For you have said, whatever we bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And Lord, we do bind these things and command them to leave our assemblies so that nobody here is poor and sick. Would you relieve us from all those things? Now bless our understanding of your word that nobody would believe it because I've said it, but open their eyes and heart to see what you're saying. I give you thanks for the privilege of meeting together, studying the word, having time to do this in this country. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.